So today we're continuing our study on how to change things. Uh, and uh, this is part three. And I'll just quickly review what we talked about in uh, our last session. We, we were talking about uh, the creation of man and how God created man in the, the Genesis account of, uh, of the creation of man. And we talked about uh, Genesis 2 verse 7 where it says, man became a living being. And uh, I referred to the, the Humash, which is the first five books of the Bible uh, in the Hebrew and English, side by side. Uh, I, I've got that volume of, of uh, the first five books of the Bible. And it, it also includes the writings from the rabbis who studied these books in the original Hebrew. And their interpretation of uh, Genesis 2-7, where it says man became a living being, uh, they interpret that as man became a speaking spirit. And uh, God created man in his likeness and his image, a speaking spirit. God wanted to be able to fellowship uh, you know, with his own kind, you know, uh, there's a certain level of companionship you can have with a, a dog or a cat or an animal, but God wanted to be able to fellowship with his own kind. So God created man in his own likeness, in his own image, a speaking spirit. But we know that when Satan got involved with man and became spiritually united with him, Satan then began to train man to speak destruction instead of speak life. We talked about Romans 10 verse 8. Faith must be in two places, in your mouth and in your heart. If faith is not abiding in these two places, then the ingredients are not there to release your faith. We talked, uh, you know, about the example of an elevator uh, uh, and how uh, it, it's a natural example of, of how we call things that are not as though they were. Uh, if you walk to the elevator and, and you're on the ground floor and the elevator's not there, you have to push the button to call the elevator to come to you. Um, and that word call means to summons. Uh, it's, you, it's a legal term. Uh, you know, you can be called to jury duty and, and so forth. Uh, um, so it's a legal term and, and it means to summons. And, uh, you know, in legal terms, that's, that's, it's not an option. You must uh, obey that summons in a court of law. So, so uh, the same is also true in the spiritual realm. You know, when we, we make a demand and we, we call for something, uh, you know, in the spirit realm according to God's word, then, you know, uh, it, it has to obey our faith. 
Now, we, we talked about the example uh, with the elevator. If you're on the ground floor and you want to go to the 10th floor, you've got to put, when you walk on that elevator, you got to push number 10 button, okay? You're not on number 10 button when you push it. You're on the ground floor when you push it. But if, you're, if you want to go to the 10th floor, you've got to push the button for the 10th floor. You can't continue to push the ground floor button and get to the 10th floor. Because if you keep pushing the ground floor button, that door is going to close and it's just going to open again and you're going to see you haven't gone anywhere. You're still standing on the ground floor. And, and so uh, this, is, this is an example of what happens with people who are sick and they desire healing. But they continue to talk about healing, they can, about sickness. They they continue to talk about their their problems, and and you know how bad they feel and what the doctor said, and they keep rehearsing this over and over. And it's like the person standing on the ground floor of an elevator, and they keep pushing the ground floor button, you know, and they really want to get to the tenth floor. Uh, so so. People would never do that on an elevator, but but when people uh, are desiring to be healed, they don't understand that they need to call for what they don't have, and what they don't have is healing, and that's what they need to call for. And so, um, uh, w with an elevator, once you're on that elevator, you've got to call, you've got to push the button for where you desire to be. And if a person is sick, they don't desire to stay sick. They desire to be well, and that's what they've got to call for. And so that elevator example is a good example, a natural example uh, of how this principle works. And it's very easy to understand when you stand on an elevator. Uh, but when it comes to spiritual things and it comes to, to healing, it seems to be a blind spot there where Satan has people deceived and they can't see where they're missing it. So, um, so we talked about, uh, you know, the necessity on an elevator. You don't tell it where you are. You tell it the floor you want to go to. And when you're sickness, when, when you're dealing with sickness and healing, you've got to speak what you desire, not what you have. And so um, we, we talked about that and it, it seems that people struggle in that area because Satan has them uh, deceived and, and they've got a blind spot there. But uh, this principle is the way you change things by faith. Calling things that don't exist in the natural realm as if they already existed. In order to operate in faith, you have to speak what you desire, not what you have. Um, this principle is, is uh, you know, all throughout the Word of God. Uh, we have to go to the Word of God and find out what He has already promised concerning our situation. You can't just make up something or base your actions on somebody else's experience.
You must go to the Word of God concerning the situation you're dealing with. Find out what the Word says. And that's what we want to speak. So, phase one of speaking and confessing God's Word is to get it down in your heart. And until you get the Word of God down in your heart, and until it's abiding there, it's not going to affect your circumstances much at that point. But if you continue in it, and you continue to say what God says, you'll get that word deposited down in your heart. And then that word will rise up. It will come out of your heart in abundance. And at this point, your words are going to start affecting the things around you and begin to change your circumstances and bring them in line with God's word. And this takes a while to do. It takes some, some time to get your heart full of the word and reach the point where you begin to believe that the things you say are going to come to pass. We looked at Abram, uh, who was childless, and the more he talked about the problem, the more he talked about, you know, he kept going to God, Lord, when are you going to give me a child? When are you going to give me a child? The more he talked about the problem, the more he saw himself childless. Uh, so what you believe, you talk about. God had to change what Abram believed, and he did it by changing his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. The more he heard people call his name, you know, uh, he began to see himself with children instead of without children. Uh, you know, he started to, to, to meditate on and to say, I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of many nations. And faith started coming. Faith started coming. Faith comes by hearing the word. And, and, and he began to see himself as the father of many nations. And uh, from that point on, he began to believe he was the father of many nations. And, and within about a year of that time, Isaac was born and was manifested after all these years of being childless. It was a very short time uh, after Isaac, uh, after Abram, uh, God changed his name and he began to meditate on, uh, I'm the father of many nations. He began to speak, I'm the father of many nations. And he began to see himself that way. It was just a matter of time then that Isaac was born. But God had to change. God had to change what he believed by changing his name. And he also showed him the stars of uh, the sky and the sand on the shore and said, So sh shall your seed be. But it took a while to, to get Abram, Abram's... Um, Faith turned around because he didn't have the Bible like we have it. So it, it took God a long time uh, to, to be able to turn his faith around from seeing himself without children to seeing himself with children. We referred to Joel 3 verse 10, which says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Uh, there's the word say again. We see the word say and said and speak. We see it all over the Bible. 
Uh, saying what you desire is not the only principle involved in walking by faith and living in victory, but it is the foundation and a vital spiritual principle that runs throughout the Bible. The weak are supposed to call things that are not as though they were. Uh, it doesn't say let the weak say I'm weak. It says let the weak say I am strong. That's calling things that are not as though they were, and that's, that's uh, the way we change things. We talked about Psalm 103 verse 20, uh, which talks about, uh, you know, the angels hearken to the voice of God's word. We have countless multitudes of angels who have already been sent. They've already been dispatched to earth to minister for us. And when our words are in agreement with God's word, we license our angels to go and perform it. Now, today uh, I want to get into um, the ministry of Jesus and look at some examples from the ministry of Jesus and how he call things that are not as though they were, and how he always spoke the desired end result. Uh, and he always spoke it before he saw the desired end result. So let's look at a few examples today from the ministry of Jesus. Let's turn to Mark 5 and uh, verse 21 to 23. It says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Um, now right here is where Jairus got Jesus' attention straight away. This man held a high position in the community. He was a dignitary, and he was a very important man in the community. Uh, but on this day and on this occasion, he forgot all about his position and his religious authority, uh, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you read on in tw verse 24, it says, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, this, uh, you know, applies that there were at least hundreds, if not thousands, of people out here because... Uh, you know, a throng of people is not just a small group. A throng of people is probably thousands, at least hundreds of people. And Jairus pushed and shoved his way through this mass of people in order to get to the feet of Jesus. And, and he, he, this man was determined. He pushed and shoved his way through this throng of people, and he got to the feet of Jesus. This, this man meant business. When he got to Jesus, he mentions the problem uh, that, about his daughter, that his daughter is sick at the point of death. He refers to the 
the fact that, uh, you know, she is ill to the point of death, but he doesn't go into a long speech about her medical history. He doesn't spend 30 minutes talking about the problem and, oh, you just don't know how bad it is and you just don't know what we've been through and you just don't know how long she's been this way and you just don't know how many doctors we've been to. No, he didn't spend a lot of time talking about the problem. Uh, the problem is not what got Jesus' attention. What got Jesus' attention was this man's faith. This man spoke his faith. He referred to the problem, and then immediately he spoke the desired end result. He said, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Then this is where he spoke his faith. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. That's when the man released his faith. Jairus told Jesus exactly what he wanted him to do. He didn't say, uh, you know, my little daughter is, is at the point of death. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd like for you to come pray for Jesus, but, you know, it's up to you. Uh, whatever you want to do, if it's your will, we'd, we'd like for you to come pray for her. But if it's not your will, well, you know, we, we, we'll just accept it. And, uh, you know, no, that's not what he said. He didn't leave it up to Jesus. He told Jesus exactly what he wanted him to do. He said, Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Jairus spoke the desired end result and he told Jesus exactly what he wanted him to do. And right here in verse 23, he released his faith. He said, come. He said, lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And he said, she shall live. He also made a quality decision, and this is very important. When you're going into a test and a trial, and you are determined, I'm going to stand for this, you have to make a quality decision at the very beginning. A quality decision is a decision in which there is no retreat. There was no hesitation or wavering with Jairus. He was saying, I'm going all the way with this, and I am not going to be denied. There was not one ounce of wavering or hesitation in his words when he said, Come, lay your hands on her, she shall live, she shall be healed, and she shall live. There was no hesitation. Uh, he didn't say, but if it's not your will, we'll just accept it. After all, you're the Lord. No, he didn't make any provision for failure. This, this man made a quality decision at the very beginning. I'm going to get what I came for. Amen? Now, uh, I don't know where Jesus was going that day, but wherever it was, his schedule suddenly changed. When Jairus ran up to him, threw himself down at Jesus' feet, and he released his faith in his words. This is what got Jesus' attention. It wasn't how sick the little girl was. It was the determination and the 
faith in this man's words and his confidence in Jesus. That's what got Jesus' attention. And this man was not going to take no for an answer. That's what got his attention. And wherever Jesus was going that day, he suddenly changed his plans and he said, I'm going home with you. Come on, let's go. Now, let's look at verse 24. Um, and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, let's Let's go on down. Uh, we, we know the woman with the issue of blood came in here as they be, began to leave. But let's go on down to verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Well, in the first place, he wasn't troubling Jesus. But um, this is an example of Satan's counterattack. Here this man has believed God. He has released his faith. He's made a quality decision. I'm not going to take no for an answer. And then all of a sudden, here comes uh, a messenger from his house that says, You're too late. Give up. Uh, don't, you know, no point Jesus coming now. Your little daughter is already dead. Now, this is often where Christians miss it and lose the battle. This is an opportunity for Jairus to blow this whole situation. Now, when this man went up there and said, you know, don't, you know, you might as well forget it. Your little daughter's dead. This is, this is the way Jesus uh, handled it. Verse 36, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. In other words, keep on believing. Jesus acted immediately to stop fear from entering Jairus and to stop Jairus from speaking his fear because he's already spoken his faith and he's already made this decision. I'm not taking no for an answer. And here comes this fear-filled report and Jesus acted immediately to, to stop him from speaking his faith, his fear. And he did not open his mouth. This man did not open his mouth and Jesus acted immediately to stop that fear because you know fear came all over him when he heard that message. Uh, the NIV uh, translation of verse 36 says, uh, ignoring what they said, ignoring what they said, Jesus uh, said, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus just ignored the report that the messenger brought. When he said, your little daughter's already dead, don't bother, Jesus ignored it. This man, uh, uh, you know, came to Jesus believing, and now this bad report has come. This is the devil's counterattack. Jesus instantly moved to stop this fear-filled message from getting to Jairus 
uh, Jesus said, don't panic. Ignore that news and keep on believing. Keep your mouth shut and stay in faith. And Jairus did. That's exactly what he did. This is a very important key to staying in faith. When the bad news came, Jairus did not open his mouth. He practiced the vocabulary of silence. This is not the time to start making faith confessions. The time for making faith confessions is when everything's going well. That's when you get the word of God in your heart. This was the time to keep his mouth shut, and he did. Anything he would have said at this point would have been based on fear. Two things he could have done here that would have blown the whole thing. Number one, he could have criticized the woman with the issue of blood for holding up Jesus and delaying him uh, from coming immediately with him because we know as Jesus turned and began to leave with Jairus, here this woman with the issue of blood comes and touches the hem of his garment. She releases her faith. She receives her healing. And Jesus even stopped to, to make her testify as to what happened to her. So here this woman has interrupted uh, precious time in Jesus leaving and getting to Jairus' house. So... Uh, in the first place, this woman was not even supposed to be in public. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue, and he had the authority to have her stoned. Uh, so now you know why it says, with fear and trembling, the woman with the issue of blood told what had been done to her. Not only was she out in public when she wasn't supposed to be, she's standing in front of the ruler of the synagogue who has the authority to have her stoned. So Jairus could have said, you know, he could have said to this lady, do you know who I am? You know, I'm the ruler of the synagogue. I'm an important man in this town, and you're nobody. Stop butting in uh, and wasting Jesus' time and clear off. Uh, you know, that's, that's what he could have said. I was here first. <laughs> I was here first, and I asked Jesus to come with me first. Clear out. Clear out. But he didn't. If, but if he had, his faith would have left him like water running down a drain. But he kept his mouth shut. This is a very important point. The second thing he could have done that would have blown the whole thing he could have blamed Jesus. He could have said, Jesus, this is your fault. You knew my little daughter was at the point of death. You knew time was critical. And you let this lady butt in and waste precious time getting back to my house. And now my little daughter is dead and it's all your fault. But if he had done that, his faith would have gone down the drain and they would have had the little girl's funeral. But he didn't. He kept his mouth shut again. And in the rest of this entire chapter, he still had some opportunities to blow it. Now, after verse 23, when he said, Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. He never opened his mouth again in the rest of 
of the entire chapter. No matter what happened, no matter what anybody said, no matter what kind of negative news he heard, he did not open his mouth again. When you begin to speak the desired end result about your situation, you begin to put God's word in your heart, you begin to believe for whatever you're standing for, and Satan comes along in a few days and sends you a letter, or uh, you get a phone call uh, with a bad report uh, that says you're not going to get what you're believing for, you heard what the doctor said, you read that letter. Uh, this is Satan's counterattack. And when you hear the bad news, keep your mouth shut until you know that when you open your mouth, a statement of faith is going to come out of it. But a statement of faith in silence is much more powerful than a statement of unbelief. And, and by keeping his mouth shut when all this bad news came to Jairus, that was a very powerful statement of faith. Now let's look at verse 37. Uh, they've, they've gotten to Jairus' house now, and it says, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Now, back up the road earlier, the messenger came to them and said, She's dead, forget it. And Jesus walks in the house and says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Now, was Jesus lying? No. Jesus doesn't lie. No. Was he denying reality? Now, now this, is what some, this is what some people, when you do this, some people are going to accuse you of lying. They're going to accuse you of denying reality. You know, you're just in shock. You're out of touch. You, you know, Jesus was not denying reality. He was not lying. So if Jesus wasn't, then we're not. This is the way Jesus handled uh, bad reports. Uh, and what he was doing, he was calling things that are not as though they were. And when you call things that are not as though they were, some people are going to accuse you of lying. They're going to accuse you of denying reality. But Jesus is our example. This is the way uh, he changed things. This is the way he changed circumstances that were adverse and brought them uh, uh, into uh, conformity with God's will and God's word. Jesus is speaking of the non-existent as if they already existed. And this is a scripture that we've already talked about. He is doing 2 Corinthians 4.18, which says the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. As far as Jesus was concerned, physical death was temporary and subject to change by a higher law 
the law of faith. So that's why Jesus was not denying reality. He, he was not uh, denying reality. He was denying death from staying in this little girl. He was uh, calling things that are not as though they were, and he was saying this situation is temporary and it is subject to change. That's what Jesus was saying. He considered not the circumstances as permanent but as temporary. Now in verse 40, it, how, how did the people respond? Verse 40 says, And they laughed him to scorn. When Jesus arrived, you, you notice here um, in verse 39, it says, well, verse 38, when they got there, it says the two, the, you know, the people were weeping and wailing and tumulting. And now in verse 40, it says they laughed at Jesus. When, when he said, you know, what, what's the big deal? This little girl's not dead. She's just asleep. He's calling things that are not as though they were. And now they're laughing at him. When he got there, they were crying, wailing, bawling, squalling. And two minutes later, they're laughing. Then it says um, in verse 40, But when he had put them all out, Jesus put them out. He put out the doubt. He cleared the room of all doubt and unbelief, and he created an environment around him for faith to operate in. He said, Nana, Granddad, Aunt Susie, out. He had already called things that are not as though they were, and he's getting ready to change the situation by saying something. When you're in the midst of a test and trial and you're believing God's word for something you need or desire, you're going to have to create and maintain an atmosphere of faith around you. You cannot have people coming around you or you cannot associate with people who are casting doubt on your situation uh, by saying things like, maybe it's not God's will. Or, uh, I know somebody that tried that and they failed. Or, I know somebody that did that and they died. They may be sincere and they may be Christians, but that is doubt. And they don't know anything about faith and they don't understand what you are doing. And if you expose yourself to that, it will neutralize your faith. Do whatever you have to do to guard your heart and mind. Don't invite them to your house. Don't get into a conversation with them. Wave at them on the other side of the street. Uh, you have to maintain an environment and an atmosphere of faith until this situation is turned around and you have uh, the desire uh, manifested. This is what Jesus is doing in this situation with Jairus' daughter. He cleared the room of all doubt and unbelief. And everybody that was weeping and wailing and bawling and squalling, he, he created an atmosphere of faith around him. He only took 
Peter, James, and John in there with him. And he cleared everybody else out. Now here's another point where Jairus could have blown it. He may have been thinking it, but he didn't say it. <laughs> but he sure, he sure may have been thinking it. Here, he has asked Jesus to come to his house to pray for his daughter. And what happens? Jesus throws his relatives out. Now, Jairus may be thinking, Oh no, my parents are never going to speak to me again. You know, or Aunt, I'm Aunt Susie's favorite nephew. And now she's going to strike me out of her will because I brought this man to my house and he's just thrown her out. So, but again, Jairus did not open his mouth. He let Jesus throw his family out. And they probably looked at him, and he probably looked at them, and just, he didn't say a word, but he was giving them the look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And you, you know they didn't want to leave that room, and they're thinking, who is this stranger coming in here telling me to get out of my son's house? And Jairus never opened his mouth. He, he gave Jesus complete authority in this situation. He gave him complete authority uh, in his household. And if he said, Nana and Granddad and Aunt Susie got to get out, then you got to get out. Amen? This, is, this was very important. Uh, he, Jairus did not allow anything to break his focus off his daughter's healing. Uh, he didn't even care if his family ever spoke to him again. I mean, for all he knew, they, they might not ever come back. He didn't interrupt Jesus. He didn't butt in. He didn't apologize to his relatives. He didn't say, well, that, you know, well, that's not the way we do it here in Galilee. No. Uh, you know, at the uh, wedding feast in Cana in John chapter 2, uh, you remember uh, Jesus' mother made one of the most profound statements in the Bible when she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And I don't care how strange it sounds, just do it. And when Jesus said to Jairus' family, leave the room now, Jairus gave them the look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And that is one of the keys to miracles. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And these are two very important principles to receiving. Number one, creating an atmosphere of faith. And number two, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now in verse 41, let's go on here. And uh, Jesus uh, took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus said to her. He released his faith with words. I say unto thee, arise. That's when he released his faith. 
He spoke the desired end result. Verse 42. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. Jesus said it before he saw it. He spoke the desired end result. I say unto thee, arise. He spoke the desired end result and he said it before he saw it. Uh, and it goes on to say, And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now the Bible doesn't say so, but Jesus could have told them exactly what to give her to eat. Uh, it could be that Jesus knew that whatever she died from uh, could be associated with some kind of chemical imbalance or, uh, you know, nutrient or something that was found in a specific kind of food. So he could have, it, it doesn't tell us, but he could have told them what to give her to eat in this situation. Now, uh, let's turn to um, Luke 13. Let's look at one other situation here in the ministry of Jesus where he called things that are not as though they were and he spoke the desired end result before he saw it. Now, let's, we're talking, uh, we're turning to Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her, to her, he called her to him and said to her, there's the word said again. He's going to say something. He's going to release his faith now. Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He called things that are not as though they were. And then in verse 13, it says, he laid his hands on her and immediately... She was made straight and glorified God. He said, you are loosed before he laid his hands on her. He said, you are loosed before she stood up straight and before there was any evidence that she was healed. He didn't say, he, he didn't wait till she was made straight and then say you're loosed. How, how could she be made straight if he hadn't have spoken at first and then laid his hands on her? Jesus always spoke the desired end result and he always called things that are not as though they were and he always said it before he saw it. This is, this is what made the religious people mad. They weren't interested in the lady getting healed. They only cared about maintaining their religious traditions. 
They just wanted to split hairs over what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And that's why they got mad and, and, uh, uh, with Jesus about healing her on the Sabbath. They were just interested in maintaining their traditions. They had no interest in this lady's plight. Uh, they, they, didn't, they weren't concerned about her getting healed. Uh, Jesus said, what difference does it make what day of the week it is? Verse 16, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? He was saying, this woman is the seed of Abraham. She has a right to be healed. She has a covenant of healing. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. You know, she's got a covenant with God. The day of the week doesn't matter. Jesus always put the needs of people first. And the religious people were not interested in that at all. Jesus exposed their priorities in public, and it made them mad. It's important that you maintain an environment of faith around you and be selective about who you speak your faith to, because uh, if you say it to the wrong people, you will just draw their unbelief. That's why it's important for you to maintain a faith atmosphere around you and associate with people who are walking in faith and they understand what you are doing. Otherwise, you just draw someone else's belief and they will try to convince you that God doesn't heal all the time. You've run into a few of those, haven't you, Ann? The Pharisees didn't like it because Jesus did not follow their traditions and talk like they talked. When you talk different from other people and other Christians, they're going to think you are strange. When someone sneezes once and they start, you know, saying, oh, I'm taking the flu, oh, I must be catching the cold, they're calling things that uh, are not as though they were. But, but they're doing it in reverse. They're putting into motion a spiritual law, but they're putting into motion the law of sin and death instead of the law of life. They're calling for what they cannot see. You know, they, they, they say, well, I just can't say I'm healed when I'm sick. Well, they can say they're sick when they're not. It, they're just doing it in reverse. So because, it, it, because it's in the negative flow and the whole world is going in a negative direction, um, it's easy to, to call things uh, that are not as though they were on the negative side. But on the positive side, it's, it's, it sounds strange because there are very few people doing that. There are very few people speaking in line with what God's Word says. That's why it sounds strange to other people because the whole world is flowing in the negative direction. But if you say, I'll never have the flu again, they look at you like you're crazy. But you're using the same spiritual law. You're calling things that are not as though they were. You're calling for what you do not see. But because it's the law of faith and it's the law of life, it just seems strange to other people. Um, I think we're going to stop there today.
And we'll continue on uh, next time with some other uh, examples uh, in the ministry of Jesus. Um, I'll just mentioned, uh, uh, I went into uh, a lady's room once in an establishment, and there was another lady uh, in there. And I don't know, I, I, I must have, I don't know if I sneezed or something. I, I don't know, I don't remember what prompted her to say it. But she said, uh, do you have a cold? And I said, well, why do you say that? And she said, well, you, you kind of sounded like it. And I said, uh, no, I don't believe in taking coals. And uh, she looked at me like, you know, what planet did you come off of, you know? And, uh, but if I would have said, oh, let me tell you just how bad I feel. And I started off, you know, Oh, I was up all night, and oh, I took this, and I took that, and you know, I've been to the doctor three times, and I've had three lots of medicine and all this. She wouldn't have thought anything about it at all. But, but I never did receive that cold. And just because, uh, you know, just because I had, I may have had some symptoms of a cold, didn't mean I had to receive it, and I never did receive it. So you can resist symptoms with the words of your mouth and you can declare by the stripes of Jesus that you're healed. And, and you're simply doing what Jesus did. You're calling things that are not as though they were. Amen?